Hey, I'm Janet French, and this is the Press Gallery. Before we get to today's show, just a reminder to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. Leave us a rating, like all the stars, more than five stars if you can, and a review, and it would really help us out. Enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's Alberta Politics Podcast. This is episode number 293, the Flurried Fall Feast Edition. I am a host, Janet French. Uh, this week, we are going to discuss the back-to-school feel of the legislature. There's there's leaves, crunchy leaves, gently falling. It's beautiful. People are moseying across the lawn, and it feels like September, even though it's October. The MLAs are all in their best attire back in the back in the uh, the house. And uh, did you think that the last sitting was busy? Because we did 13 pieces of legislation in the spring that the UCP introduced. And Jason Nixon, who's the House leader, he did not sing, but he did quote uh, Bachman-Turner Overdrive earlier this week when he said, you ain't seen nothing yet. And uh, the UCP government says they want to introduce 14 to 17 pieces of legislation in the fall sitting. Joining me this week, we have... My partner in crime this week down at the legislature, Moira Whiten. Good morning, Janet. Good morning. How are you? I'm well. It's nice to be back in the newsroom after yeah. a week running up and down the stairs <laughs> of the legislature. <laughs> we have elevators here. It's yes. wonderful. Uh, sitting next to her is our boss, Dave Breckenridge. How are you? Good, thank you. I'm ready to get at it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, stop talking. Got it. Uh, and... Surprise! Next to him is National Post reporter Tyler Dawson. Hello. How are you? I'm well. Is this your press gallery debut? I think it is, yeah. Ooh. I've never been cool enough to be invited on. Oh, I don't know about that. Okay. So this week, we are going to talk about the war room. We found out on Wednesday a little bit more detail about what this promised war room is going to be called, what it might look like, who's leading it. A bit more detail there. And also, there were two federal leaders debates this week. Did anybody mention Alberta? We will discuss. Uh, but we're going to start off with a surprise piece of legislation that was not in the UCP's platform. And it involves the regulation of real estate agents. So Moira, can you tell us a little bit about what came down the pipe? So for everyone who wasn't following the years-long drama at the Real Estate Council of Alberta, we'll fill you in. <laughs> On Wednesday, Minister of Service Alberta Nate Gluvish introduced legislation into the legislature to allow him to immediately fire all of the eight remaining Real Estate Council of Alberta council members, which is essentially the governing board of the independent governing body that regulates all real estate professionals in the province. And this is huge because there's only eight of them left out of 12, uh, because four resigned over the summer after a, a KPMG report to government called it dysfunctional and essentially gave the council and the entire organization a failing grade, um, as Minister Glubish called it. Um, there in the report, uh, which is public online uh, and released at the end of June, it details massive um, breaches of trust, um, lack of administrative and financial oversight by council members, uh, conflict and harassment allegations between council members. Um, Minister Glubish said uh, in a press conference on Wednesday that this is actually something council had uh 
asked for. Some council members had wanted like, to please, be fired. Please fire like, us. Please get rid of all of us. <laughs> um, and you, you know, you think you maybe t- get rid of a couple problem problem council members, um, but the KPMG report explicitly said that they did not believe the problems could be uh, resolved uh, with any of the existing council members um, at the time. As well, uh, real estate uh, industry associations welcomed the move. Um, When I spoke to Darcy Donald, a former chair of the Alberta Real Estate Association, he was like, oh, thank goodness. Like, (laughs) we need this. Please help the realtors. So, yeah, like, if you were buying a house and your realtors seemed a little harried, it might have been because of all this drama going on behind the scenes. Um, and now if the, if the legislation's passed, they'll be able to immediately dismiss them. And they're planning to appoint a an administrator to oversee the organization um, until they can introduce further legislati- legislative amendments in the spring session um, and hopefully appoint a new council. Yeah. So what's the future of this council? Are, are they actually going to change the way that realtors are regulated in Alberta or is they're going to keep keep the structure but just put new people in there? Well, that's unclear. He said that, um, you know, Minister Gluber said this is kind of a short-term backstop for an issue that's going to take a long time to resolve. He wouldn't say whether uh, it would be a massive overhaul in governance, although in the KPMG report, um, there are some recommendations that really stress, like, increased public membership. Right now, there's only two public uh, non-industry members on the council. Um, it looks like that could be something that could be increased, but he wouldn't speculate as to how things might change until after uh, Bill 15 is passed and uh, they can at least get the uh, the problem council members out of out of the way. Huh. I mean, have we seen things like this before, Dave? Is it is a little strange for government to be getting involved in a an industry regulation like this? Well, I think if the if this is the kind of role that we want government to have is to to have oversight over the oversight. The, like to say, okay, this organization uh, is not representing the interests of consumers and industry well and say, okay, you're out the door. Um, and this, I mean, this is something that they inherited from the NDP. The NDP commissioned this report back in January after there were several years of many complaints about how this organization was run. And so if there's problems within how this organization is being run that could impact an industry that affects thousands of home sales every year, you'd want the government to step in and say, hey, whoa, 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 like enough with this financial mismanagement and uh, all these other problems. We want to make sure that we're looking out for uh, Alberta entrepreneurs as well as uh, Alberta uh, real estate consumers. And I find it interesting that this follows on the heels of the um, gobsmacking reports into the dealings at AER, the Alberta Energy Regulator, mm-hmm. that that uh, basically uh, showed uh, the top dog at the AER essentially setting himself up with a soft landing in retirement to uh, by funneling money into a new organization called yes, I-Corps. Yes, he was creating a nonprofit, and uh, the the speculation was that he was planning to try and create himself a a post a post Alberta Energy Regulator career uh, because the was one of the speculations is because all the salaries were being Cut. curtailed by yes. <laughs> by the previous government for for leaders of uh, 
for of public agencies. And oh, and one thing I wanted to mention as well was that um, they were very critical of the NDP for allowing it to get this bad for this what? long. What? No, the UCP never know, says anything was, critical of the NDP. I was as you are, Janet. No, amazing. <laughs> I, I, um, but and 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 this and this uh, legislation does come on the heels of a ministerial order that Glubish issued in August to increase his powers to oversee and approve decisions by RICA. So um, you, it was clear they were escalating their response. Yeah. I mean, this is the kind of thing that, it, A, it, it's two easy wins for the UCP to to look tough on corruption in uh, boards and agencies in Alberta. Um, it does raise the question, though, you know, you had problems with the Alberta Energy Regulator. You've had problems now with the Real Estate Council of Alberta. Who else? Who, where else are there problems? <laughs> Does the government need to undertake a wider scope review of organizations like this across the province? Could there be issues elsewhere? I'm not. I'm mm. not trying to taint other organizations, but um, it makes you wonder. If the Alberta Energy Regulator can't get its business together, then shrug. Be, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out because earlier in the summer, the UCP appointed I think over fifty new members to ABC boards mm-hmm. across the province. So a I lot wonder, of post secondaries. Yeah, yeah, a lot of post secondaries, and I'm wondering, you know, how new dynamics are settling in. Well, I think that's a good point because while it's fine and good for the government to step in when there's problems, I mean this does sound like it has the risk of reducing the independence of what's meant to be an independent body. And things are generally independent from government for good reason. And when they wiped out all the boards of governors and whatever uh, a few months ago, they replaced them with a lot of party loyalists, to put it reasonably delicately. Um, That doesn't necessarily mean they aren't experienced or the right people for the job. But you know, every government does this when they come in, they clear out all these things and add in all these new people. So it will be interesting to see whether or not the independence that this body traditionally enjoys is maintained and who the replacements are and how that aligns with whatever larger agenda on the real estate front the UCP might have. Mm-hmm. Um, ML- NDP MLA John Carson cautioned against that from the legislature on Wednesday that they'll be looking for increased public membership um, appointed by the minister or by like a public committee um a not realtor a not realtor yeah. basically because of now right now it's two of 12 um and then the other 10 are either appointed directly or indirectly by industry associations so i think working with industry associations is going to be key uh, to seeing how that plays out i want to switch to the federal election and then there was radio silence <laughs> why, what is there even why, to say? yeah why are we so am i wrong that we're kind of like this it's not sleepy exactly but people seem a little disinterested in Alberta, maybe. then It's the Seinfeld election. This Meaning? It's an election about nothing. It's sponge-worthy? <laughs> it's not sponge-worthy. <laughs> not at so all. Far. No, it is the election about nothing. It, yeah. The election about yeah. nothing. There's also, you know, at least one person, maybe two people at the table for whom that reference just would have right over our heads. Uh, yeah, I can see more. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Ni- niche right. 1990s reference oh, there. Oh, boy. I was alive dating in the myself. 90s. <laughs> Anyway, so there were obviously a couple of debates this week. We had the English leaders debate on Monday, and then we had the French leaders debate on Thursday. Who watched? I watched the English language debate on Monday, and I didn't watch the French okay. debate last night. I watched highlights from the French. and That's more or less what I've Yeah, the fun well, thing yeah. about the French debate, um, 
is uh, because there's five men on stage, they have to give the translators these distinct voices, right? And so they gave, they made Maxime Bernier an Australian (laughs) (laughs) and they made uh, Andrew Scheer a a Brit. (laughs) And then they had sort of like various, you know, tenors and baritones and basses uh, represent the other, (laughs) represent the other leaders. It does make you wonder how many French speaking Australians are there. I know, right? Who are excellent translators. Anyway, there's a lot of money to be made in that sector. Maybe. Apparently. But when you think about it, if you were to anglicize Maxime Bernier, you would almost have to make him an Australian. He has so, a hey? he has a certain Paul Hogan uh, for another <laughs> reference that will completely go over Moira's head. A certain Paul. <laughs> no, she laughed. She laughed. I saw her. Easy there. Oh, brother. Crocodile Dundee in a blue suit. <laughs> Anyhow, did it did did Alberta register on the radar at all in any of these debates? Did you guys hear anything? Any promises for Alberta? Any promises that kind of extend a middle finger to Alberta. Well, there was certainly that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Especially in the English language yeah. yeah. All right. What'd yeah. you hear? I heard a lot of, you know, the Trans Mountain Pipeline shouldn't go through uh, from Green Party leader Elizabeth May. Uh, Jagmeet Singh is of a similar uh, feeling. And like you got the sense that even Justin Trudeau really wasn't Super in on Alberta oil, you know, he was asked kind of point blank, should Trans Mountain be the last pipeline we built? And you got the sense that that Justin Trudeau, yeah, he was kind of on board with that. So, you know, for for people in Alberta who have been concerned about how the federal government has managed things relating to our oil industry, there weren't positive signs out of the English language debate on Monday. And in, and in the French debate on Thursday night, uh, Trudeau sort of going on his usual line here, attacking provincial premiers for whatever strategic purpose he thinks that serves, said that the next federal government of the liberal federal government, should they win, needs to continue to stand up to Jason Kenney and Doug Ford and quote, the oil barons, end quote. Yeah, he um, said that in both the English and the French debate, which I thought was really interesting. It's a bizarre thing to say for a man who bought a pipeline. but, <laughs> but the, And there is another quite funny moment uh, in the English debate because Yves-Francois Blanchet, the Bloc Québécois leader brought up this proposal of green equalization, the idea being that higher emissions provinces like Alberta would have to pay a certain carbon tax, and that would be used to fund transfer payments. Um, And Elizabeth May leaped to the defense of Alberta and said, you know, this would be too hard on Albertans, and you can't have this sort of policy. You know, you, you need to help people with this transition, you know, not club them over the head with it, which was... So there've been some some strange things perhaps yeah. happening on happening on the Alberta front. Yeah, and and Bernier was the only one I heard bring up just general equalization reform. Mm-hmm. I didn't hear Sheer touch on it in the English language debate, but I, I watched most of it, not all. Well, Sheer doesn't have a leg to stand on in the equalization debate <laughs> because the Conservative government voted in the current equalization framework, and you know it's it's one of the things that the progressives in Alberta like to club Jason Kenney over the head with, as well as the fact that. You know, he he claims that equalization is bad for Alberta, and he may actually be right, but they are the Sheer and Kenny were in the government that voted in the current framework as it exists now. So how Sheer could make things better for Alberta, he hasn't necessarily articulated. Um, but you would hope that if that's a concern for him, that we, you know, he's releasing his platform as we record this, I believe it's coming out on Should a, be. Uh, Friday. So, you know, maybe there'll be some hints in there. He did have the National Energy Corridor stuff, which I suppose in theory ought to help Alberta. I I don't get the sense that 
some critics think that's a super feasible policy idea, but certainly he does think the Trans Mountain should be built and that there should be, you know, pipelines crisscrossing the country. So what did he tell us how he's going to sell that idea in Quebec? No, I don't think so. I mean, other than I think you can make the case perhaps that these sort of national infrastructure projects are under federal purview and job creation and whether the and whether the province like in the same way that BC can't actually stop Trans Mountain through legal shenanigans in theory, Quebec <laughs> couldn't either, I think would be the idea. Huh. Are there not already energy pipelines that run through Quebec? This is the one thing I, I don't um... get. It's like, you know, they're. I looked at a map recently for another story, and they a lot of them go um, like through the Great Lakes area. They go, they tuck into Michigan and yeah, down through. Yeah, there's yeah. a couple like when Line Nine was reversed because Line Nine, Line Nine, where's that? It, it runs. I don't know where it runs, but it runs. Uh, <laughs> and, at any rate, it goes into Quebec. Tyler Dawson. <laughs> yeah, it goes into Quebec, and it used to take oil from. Quebec oil and natural gas, maybe. At any rate, it was reversed, so it now goes the opposite direction and brings in oil from like maybe North Dakota. Anyways, mm. but it is this was part of this big transition because before 2013, Quebec get used to get a lot of its oil from foreign sources, um, and it still gets a reasonable percentage from foreign sources. But since Line Nine was reversed and there's more rail, oil by rail. Quebec gets a lot more from uh, Alberta than it used to. The rest comes from like Kazakhstan and Algeria. And Iraq, I think, is the third. Big... Anyways, this... mm. very much an aside on our discussion of the no, debates. No, that's cool. And, that's cool. Uh, the more you know. And, yeah. uh, you know, Alberta. But. Huh. Huh. Uh, speaking of oil. That was an okay transition. That was pretty good. Speaking of oil. War room. War room. Transition. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> okay. So the funniest thing about. So what happened? Let's just back up and tell you what actually happened first. <laughs> um, on Wednesday, Energy Minister Sonia Savage um, revealed in question period and then later uh, held a scrum with reporters in the rotunda of the legislature saying, hey, we've got a name for the war room and we've got a leader for the war room. If you have not been paying attention, which you, of course, all have, but just. For that one listener who didn't, uh, the UCP government campaigned on creating uh, uh, a public relations exercise or group who would focus on trying to sell the story of Alberta's oil being among the cleanest in the world and responsibly produced and regulated. And uh, they say that there are foreign funded forces that are interfering and uh, unfairly tarnishing the reputation of Alberta's oil around the world. And they want to combat this with the true story about the good news about about Canada's oil. And get to the bottom of opposition, right? That's what they said, I think. And get to the bottom of opposition. Oh. Like, like, well, like they want to like expose the people who well, are the fighting against. I think that's the public inquiry. Yeah, the public right? which inquiry is, yeah, is happening so, simultaneously. Which, no, yeah. no, but that, that yeah. actually is Sorry, relevant. That's, we're, we're, no, no, it's, it's not. It's... It's it's a legitimate comment. Thank you. <laughs> it's all part of the it's all part fight of back strategy. The fight back strategy, the machinery. So obviously it, they called it the war room and the platform. We've been calling it the war room. Uh, and the name that they came up with was the Canadian Energy Center, which sounds very friendly. The first step and, in the public relations exercise, I would say. Yeah. So it sounds uh, like a, a bit vague. Think tank. Like, well, yeah. There, I there mean, already it could be is anything. a Canadian Energy Information Center, I believe. That's Canadian like, Center for Energy Information, which is part of the Canadian government. Possibly. Right? It's like Maybe. part of Natural Resources Canada. At any rate, I've interviewed someone the last year from someone yeah. with an organization that has a very, very similar name. Okay. It, it was created by CAP, the Canadian Association uh -huh. for Petroleum Producers. 
Uh, it's uh, created in 2002 to create a voice for the Canadian oil and gas industry on all aspects of the Canadian energy system um, with a focus on hydrocarbon energy sources. Oh. And it's uh, developed and funded by the oil and gas industry for Canadian audiences. So there already is a Canadian Energy Centre funded by the oil lobby. Yes. Correct? Okay. All right. So here we are. So we know we have a Canadian Energy Centre. It is going to be in Calgary. We don't need know the address yet or anything like that, but we do know it's going to be headed up by Tom Olson, who in fact has at some point written for this newspaper. Uh, he was a journalist and mm -hmm. then he ended up becoming um, a senior person in the Ed Stalmack administration. Cast your mind back to the yes. days of Ed Stalmack. Back to 2008. Give or take. Yeah. My 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 timeline is not memorized of premieres in Alberta. Sorry. He's also not a bad singer. I've seen uh, Tom. He's, yeah, he, Tom he like had a wreckage. concert with Leela um, or with Leela here during the campaign. I saw mm -hmm. an event. Right, because he was, cause right, he was also he was a, a failed UCP candidate. He was. He ran against Irfan Sabir mm -hmm. in Calgary. Oh God, sorry. <laughs> At any rate, he's Buffalo, falling Calgary. falling upwards is not a bad Calgary way to... Buffalo Calgary right. Buffalo? Okay, all right. Anyhow, he did run for the UCP. He did not succeed. Now the NDP is saying, hey, you just gave this guy like an almost $200,000 a year job to send grumpy tweets at people. So um, what Minister Savage said is that um, Olson will set up this office. He will hire teams. There will be three branches to this office. One branch will be involved in data collection and analysis and dissemination. Uh, one branch will do some uh, be like a rapid response team. We're still trying to understand exactly what that means um, on the public relations front. It sounds like maybe advertising campaigns might be a component of that. And then also energy literacy, which I, I'm not quite sure. We were a little distracted by other questions like, what is this thing and how did you incorporate it? And is it subject to freedom of information law? And why did you call it the Canadian Energy Center and not the Alberta Energy Center? And I'm hogging all the airtime. Discuss. Tyler. Where to begin? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, maybe it's worth just with a little bit more background on Mr. Olson, who has been a somewhat controversial character over the years, um, perhaps notably for his somewhat sexist dispatches about Belinda Stronach when he was a columnist back in the day. Um, and he also, he did this once before. He ran a information style website during the Stelmac years, which is still online if you look up uh, the archives, where he pushed back against such stories as the two-jawed fish from, I think it was like tailings, ponds, outflow or some such. So he's an old hand at this, despite... Uh, having a controversial past. He's a lot of experience, I guess, in this sort of thing that he's bringing to the, was it Canadian Energy Center? Canadian Energy Center. Mm -hmm. Apparently the fish was naturally occurring, a professor. <laughs> naturally a, occurring. It wasn't like the Simpsons three-eyed fish. Yeah. fish. It was a naturally occurring mm -hmm. strange fish. Which happens from time to time. Sure it does. Indeed yeah. it does. Yeah. Anyhow, Dave, what do you what do you make of this? Do you, what, what questions do you have about the Canadian Energy Center? Well, I am curious about how it's going to work. Who will be calling the shots? There, there are ministers who are on the board of directors. You know, where does Tom Olson take his instructions from? Uh, will they be subject to freedom of information laws? It would be good to know that. I think that um, some transparency involved here. If if the government is big on dealing with uh, corruption and transparency around uh, agencies, boards, and commissions. Uh, and as we talked about earlier in the show, they're, they're looking at getting rid of a, a whole board that, of a, of an association that, um, 
yeah, wasn't wasn't doing things properly, that it would be good to know that we can have a look see in at the Canadian Energy Center and and how they're operating and and get a little tri- bit of transparency there. I you know on on its face, I'm not opposed to the government doing this. Governments, successive governments going back my entire life have been uh, big boosters and salespeople for the Alberta oil industry, whether that's good or bad. And there are people that will say it's, they shouldn't be in the business of doing it. We want our government telling the story of our major industries, whether that's agriculture, whether that's tech, whether that's oil, we want them doing that. We want them trying to bring investment here and trying to do its best to help the economic prosperity of the province. I don't see that as being a bad thing, but it needs to be driven by government. There needs to be transparency around it. We need to understand how it operates and who's calling the shots and all of those things. That's kind of where I get hung up on it, but I don't see it as a bad thing that the government has been trying to tell Alberta's story. Rachel Notley went all over the place trying to promote Alberta's oil industry. Allison Redford did it. Jim Prentice did it. Ed Stelmack did it. Ralph Klein was, you know, it just, feels, and again, maybe it's right, maybe it's wrong, but it just feels like it's part of what a government's role is in promoting industry abroad. And it would be hard for critics to throw stones, I think, because Rachel Notley did spend a lot of money, not $30 million, I don't think, but uh, purchasing adverts in very strategic places like during um, interministerial meetings in Montreal and Ottawa and uh, traveling around China trying to speak about the benefits of Alberta oil in yeah. very key markets. Where right? I get where I get hung up is the idea that oh we're, we're going to be doing essentially like counter ops related to media reporting around uh yeah. the and oil sands. And, there was and a lot what is of that questions. going to look like yeah. and and how does that impede the work that we do in a newsroom? I uh, let me be the one to cast stones then. Um have at her. Being virtuous as I am. Um I think the the thing that I object to mainly about this is sort of as we touched on, this stuff already really exists. Like it's certainly one thing for governments to promote industry and travel the continent and whatnot. Um but to create this wholly separate body that mimics the work that's already out there, keeping in mind that $30 million is a paltry sum compared to what the oil industry can spend on PR. And then there's the other part of this, which is the governments tend to really suck at this sort of thing. <laughs> like, like think of every time there's like some tweet, say, from the government of Canada that's mildly clever, and then someone puts in a freedom of information request, and it's like you've had 20 or 30 drafts and it's been six weeks in the making and like oh all the way up goodness. to the deputy minister, you know, approving this stuff. And then it still isn't <clears throat> funny. So it's, I, I struggle to see how this operation is going to actually be any good beyond making our lives kind of annoying. And I mean, those, that is a fair point. Government doesn't always do well uh, when it comes to duplicating work that, that other industries do. Um, but at the same time, I don't think that our oil industry has done a good job at selling itself. You know, that's fair. I don't know. I don't. And again, I don't see what cap does that or, or other companies do maybe the occasional commercial from shell about how green their, their, uh, in situ sites are after the fact and reclamate, but overall it's like, I don't really think they're really doing a bang up job themselves. But might that not be a sign that they don't especially need to, because perhaps they are not under the nefarious assault 
that the government thinks they are. <gasps> Sacrilege. <laughs> Tyler, why do you hate Sorry. Canadian oil? I know. Oh I mean, my goodness, gosh. Great. Somebody gonna... submit Tyler's <laughs> name to the public inquiry. <laughs> for oil burden so, activities. Yeah. So, regard, so, but about the public inquiry. Um, so when we asked, there was lots of questions when we uh, interviewed Savage about this on Wednesday, including like, are you going to be fighting back against our stories that quote environmentalists? And maybe we were taking it a little personally. I don't know. Uh, and why Why is it the Canadian Energy Centre? Like, did you consult British Columbia on, on the creation <laughs> of this entity? Are you going to ask PEI for money to help run it? Uh, so um, what, what uh, Minister Savage said was that, no, no, you're misunderstanding. This is about telling the story. It sounds like this is really like about producing content from a, you know, an industry, an industry way of putting it, rather than like uh, the fighting back. It sounds like whenever we asked about like, well, are you going to be criticizing people whose messages you don't agree with or going after environmentalists or affecting free speech? It's like, well, no, that's the public inquiry is looking into the the opposition. But then that raises the question of like, well, then are, is the inquirer going to be going after the people whose messages the government finds um, to be problematic uh, for their narrative about the quality and um, safety and ethical purity of our natural resources. Yeah, and I think that that those questions and the lack of transparency it appears there's going to be in the Canadian Energy Centre is what really concerns me about this whole thing. Um, our colleague at the in the press gallery from Star Edmonton, Kieran Leavitt, um, had a really good story that I know we were pushing on as well. But uh, Christine Myatt, the Premier's press secretary, sent out a statement yesterday clarifying that FOIP does not apply to the Canadian Energy Centre because it is has been incorporated privately. Um, and in the House on Thursday, or sorry, in the legislature on Thursday, uh, Jason, uh, House Leader Jason Nixon was saying um, that no expense will be spared to fight for Canadian energy and for the Alberta economy. So I, I think the the fact that you know we may not be able to get those juicy uh, tweet drafting FOIPs says <laughs> That's Tyler a very good has, point. Yeah. Well, actually, but also like important important uh, important information on the running and the intentions and the employees of the center. I think is is concerning for me because right. it's thirty million dollars of taxpayer money. And $30 million, you know, yes, it's not, it's nothing compared to the size of our provincial budget. $30 million would build one really nice elementary school every year, mm -hmm. just for context. And we would FOIP the hell out of that elementary school too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think that's enough oil chat for now. Did we, is there anything not, uh, we talked about realtors that wasn't to do with oil realtors? directly, right? Yeah. Talk about yeah, equalization talk a little about bit. Oil, yeah, yeah, a little bit of, you know, transfer. Interprovincial money transfer. Now it's time for our regular segment, the good stuff from the gallery. Moira, what have you cooked oh, up for us? Thank you. Um, I'm going to recommend an article slash playlist on Pitchfork. Um, that is the 200 best songs of the 2010s. Um, not to date <laughs> myself, but... Uh, <laughs> You're too young to say that. This song is taking me on a journey through my last 10 years of or this playlist. Yeah. It's taking me on a journey through my last 10 years of life, um, which is more of my life than I care to admit on on radio. Um, but anyways, yeah, it's a really good compilation of hits and maybe some other songs that may have flown under your radar with um, an explanation from a pitchfork music or culture writer about the what, like what makes this song kind of a defining uh, piece of the decade. Um, I'm a sock, a sap for any like kind of wrap up year end 
music uh music list and so it's been it's been cool to revisit some some times in my in my young life and and continue uh kind of like exploring music that may have slipped by I'm here for it because I probably need a refresher. <laughs> well, you and I are obviously, we're about the same age. We're obviously we're not apart. Pitchfork's yeah. <laughs> target demo because I went through that list and I listened to a lot of music and I was scratching my head saying, who? Oh, boy. Yeah. We can listen together. Well, now, there you go. Now we, can, uh, we can get ourselves up to date. We have put the lingo to know what to talk to our kids about. Uh, Dave, what did you wrestle up this week? I'm going to recommend something musically related as well. Um, I'm a big fan of listening to artists talk about kind of the creation of their music and the process, stuff like that. Um, Malcolm Gladwell has a podcast that he created with, uh, legendary producer Rick Rubin and another collaborator, Thomas Headley. And it's called Broken Record. Season two is uh, now filling my podcast feed. Uh, The first two episodes are out. They talk with Jack White and Brendan Benson of the Raconteurs. And episode two is Tyler, the creator. Uh, Different Tyler. Different Tyler, not (laughs) Not this Tyler. Tyler, the content creator. creator, (laughs) Uh, Tyler, the creator is a rapper. Um, But these are all, and season one, if you haven't heard it, is also very good. These are in-depth conversations about the work that goes into creating some really outstanding music. And um, it's definitely a really fascinating listen. What can't Malcolm Gladwell do? Like, geez. I mean, <laughs> the guy it, is prolific. His interviews are, are good, but when you get Rick Rubin in there, and I don't know, for people who follow music, Rick Rubin was behind, was one of the uh, minds behind Def Jam Records, produced early Beastie Boys stuff, produced some of the biggest records from the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Tom Petty and the Dixie Chicks. He's kind of worked with everybody and um, to hit once he, when he does the interviews, it's just really, really fascinating. Huh. I'm going to stuff myself in here and say, uh, and actually recommend a, a federal politics article. So um, you probably all know we frequently interview Andrew Leach, who is an energy economist at the University of Alberta. And he had written a series of stories over the last like, I don't know, month or columns for CBC about sort of analyzing each federal party's climate plan. And I was going to message him and be like, dude, just tell me which is the best climate plan. It, it can be off the record, just, just so I know for my own voting purposes. But then I didn't have to because he and Catherine Hayhoe, who is a Canadian climate scientist who works in the U.S., did um, an analysis of all the climate plans in one uh, handy article in Maclean's and Chatelaine and then gave them all a grade, a grade for ambition and a grade for feasibility. And not to sound like one of those, um, you know, teasing headlines, but the results might surprise you. TLDR. TLDR. Give us the answer. No, I'm kidding. No, we'll go no, over, go over, read it. I'm telling you. No, no spoilers. Tyler, take us home. All right. Uh, I'm going to have to recommend a book. Um, and Like a paper thing? Yeah, paper? yeah. Like, Who has time for books? <laughs> Dead, Dead Trees. Uh, it is the latest from English author Philip Pullman, who you may remember as the author of The Golden Compass, Subtle Knife, and Amber Spyglass. I didn't know you were a fantasy reader. I am. Huh. Embarrassingly so. At any rate, the latest one, The Secret Commonwealth, is out, and you may want to get your hands on it and read it because next month, the BBC and HBO show of His Dark Materials, highly anticipated, will be coming out. So... That would be my uh by fantasy geeks everywhere. Is that a fantasy? continuation of the same narrative? It is, is it a of the Golden Compass story. 
The Secret Commonwealth? Yeah. So oh. it's it's set like 15 years after The Amber Spyglass. And if you were a fan of the original series, that means you've been waiting like 20 odd years for these new books. There's two new ones. Oh, that's too much suspense. Indeed. Then again, we're getting a Handmaid's Tale sequel like 30 years after hmm. the original. No so. one asked for it, but we're getting it. <laughs> <laughs> Dystopia waits for no one. Uh, that is all of the time we have for today. Thank you very much, Moira, Dave, and Tyler for joining me. This has been another episode of The Press Gallery. Press Gallery.